Amen. You can have a seat. And uh, just so you know, just kind of by way of reminder, uh, if you, you know, every now and then we have David and Jenna with us, and um, they've been friends of fellowship and serving the worship here for, for years, like for the last six or seven years, kind of off and on. Y'all were in Asheville for a while, and then Nashville, Tennessee, then Greenville, then back in Nashville. And so, so just so you know, if you, you know, if you see them every now and then, you're wondering why you don't see them, they live in Nashville, but uh, they're out there writing music, producing music. They have some great worship music that they do themselves. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up. If you're on Spotify, iTunes, or anything like that, uh, Jenna Grace May. Uh, so if you look up some songs, uh, they've got some, a new song coming out that's really powerful. And so I think it'd be cool as a church for us who have them come, be a part. We could listen to it, learn it, and then maybe next time they're here, sing it together. Because, yeah, thank you guys. So anyway, so just, just so you know, I wanted to just say who they are because if you don't see them around through the week. So we're, we love having you guys here. Thanks so much. And just, yeah. And... And they, they drive in from Nashville, and they have their golden retriever with them. So that's why they go back there to hang out with their dog and watch uh, the sermon and stuff on the TV. And then they, so it's not like the Wizard of Oz go behind the curtain and then pop back out. It's nothing like that. So just want to let you guys know who they are and how we can be praying for them and support them in their ministry as they you know, come and serve their gifts and, and use them with us. So, um, so okay, so Ecclesiastes. We're in Ecclesiastes. If you have your, your Bibles or your phone or your tablet or whatever, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, uh, we are for the third week in a row going through another entire chapter of Ecclesiastes. Okay, so, so uh, we're getting towards the end here. And Ecclesiastes, last week we kind of left it. It was like the most uh, cynical kind of negative part of the book so far. And that's kind of the role Ecclesiastes plays. Somebody, I, I read somebody put it, that Ecclesiastes says everything Proverbs doesn't. So it's considered wisdom literature, how to live in this life, uh, and where Proverbs kind of says what to do, what not to do, things like that. Ecclesiastes kind of plays a counterpart and is just really kind of brutally honest about the world we live in, uh, life as we see it and experience it. Uh, so last week it kind of built to this crescendo, and then this week, chapter 10, we're, we're we're looking at really just some, some Proverbs and some wise sayings. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through those. I'm going to read through the all 20 verses of chapter 10. And just know this is going to feel like it's all over the place. And it kind of is because it's just little sayings. But I think there are some unifying themes and principles that we can look at today. Like it's got everything from dead flies to snake charming to all kinds of stuff. Okay, so just buckle up. I'm going to read through it and then, and then pray for us. And then we'll jump in this morning. So, so Ecclesiastes 10. Starting in verse 1, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, a sort of error that rises from a ruler, that fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them, and whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull, And if its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Just a heads up. 
in case you're getting into that field. Verse 12, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning of their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming, and no one, or who can tell someone else what will happen after them. The toil of fools wearies them, and they do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant, whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth, and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. All right, let's pray and then we'll jump into the message today. Jesus, thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as we open it, as we read it, illuminate the truths to us and maybe we walk out today in more faith and trust in who you are, God, than we came in this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Have, have you ever been upstaged before? You know the phrase upstaged? You know, it's like a theater term where, where someone who's on the stage kind of behind you that's not supposed to be the star of the scene is kind of taking over the star of the scene. Anybody, like if you've worked really hard at something, like maybe a presentation at work or, or you know, maybe in like you're in school, you're in middle school, high school, you're doing theater or something like that, and, and it was your scene where you were supposed to kind of have the stage and you were upstaged. Uh, uh, maybe, um, you know, you, you worked really hard and, and you were prepared to get that promotion and then somebody who you thought maybe didn't deserve it got it over you. Have you ever been upstaged by something? Anybody ever watch, like, a, a professional sporting event? Like, maybe you're watching on TV, like a, like a baseball game or a soccer game or something, and, and you're watching these athletes who get paid millions of dollars to train hours every day for years, their entire lives, to get to this moment and then like a cat runs on the field. And what do the cameras do? They go to the cat, right? Like, like I remember a few years ago, we were at a, at a Braves game in their new stadium down in Atlanta. And it was a great game. It was back and forth. It was the year that the L.A. Dodgers won the World Series. So it was two great teams like playing against each other. And uh, some, some pigeons flew on the field. And like in the, in the midst of this really great ball game, everybody started cheering for the pigeons. Like the outfielders are trying to shoe them and everybody's, you know, the pigeons go and they land on a rail and people are like throwing crackers to them and stuff like that. Like they just came in and just totally upstaged the game. And, and it's funny how little things like that, it, it, like it's true, right? What we see, read in the first verse here, dead flies give perfume a bad smell. And, and what we're talking about today uh, is, is as we kind of go through, if you're, you know, you're looking foul ball and lifelands in foul ter- territory, Ecclesiastes does kind of address that reality that, that we kind of have these expectations and hope of the way life will go. Uh, and Ecclesiastes is just honest that, that, that no matter how hard you try, sometimes life just doesn't seem fair. You know, foul balls happen. It's what, it's what happens when, when life lands in foul territory. And, and what the preacher does today is he gives us some warnings about what upstages wisdom in our lives. Like, like if you find yourself saying, like, man, I'm doing my best here. Why won't it work out? He warns us a bit, but then he gives two principles that we're going to focus on today uh, in the chapter. Two principles that help us understand what we can do to avoid spoiling our chance of living a life of wisdom. Okay, Because wisdom is one of those things that anyone can do. 
right? Like it's not specifically left for anyone of a certain religion or a certain faith or a certain profession or a certain thing. Wisdom is a thing that God grants to all people. It's what's called common grace. Like there are people who can do wise things, whether that's with money or raising a family or with their career or with their hobbies or whatever it is. I mean, I mean wisdom is found by any human being. It's, it's part of what proves us that, that God is good. It's what kind of in a way what we've talked about earlier in the book about uh, you know, why do good things happen to bad people. It's because a life of wisdom is a good thing. But what we're going to look at today is that, that wisdom, true wisdom, is found and given by God. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to walk through these first three verses. They kind of set the stage. And then the last uh, 17 verses, you're going to jump around a little bit, but it's going to fall under two main principles. All right, so look at verse 1. It talks about two things that are outweighed by folly. Okay, folly or, or like a literal translation could just be straight up just stupidity. All right, so it's kind of like, what, like here's the warning that he gives, and then we're going to look at the principle. So, so here are two things that are outweighed by folly. It says honor and wisdom. These two words are, are interesting because, uh, you know, everything in the rest of the chapter, whether it's kings or princes or everyday life situations, uh, wisdom and honor are the two things that, that we're all kind of seeking and looking for, right? Because uh, both of these words, here's what's interesting, the original language in Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew, those two words um, are really similar to each other. Like, like literally just a little, a little character in the word makes the difference in those two words. They, they could really mean the same thing. They both could be wisdom or they both could be honor or they both could be translated glory. But they're important in different contexts. See, the, the first word uh, when it says, um, you know, wisdom, it, or I'm sorry, what's it say there first? Yeah, wisdom, it, it, it means something that's like splendid, like if you look at something, you think, man, that, that's, real, that's a really valuable thing, but only in like a subjective sense. Kind of like beauty's in the eye of the beholder. The word that's used for wisdom, it, it's like um, anybody ever catch on Instagram or social media or something like what's considered like high fashion now? And you're like, you look like a breakdancer in the 90s. Anybody ever think that? Like you're looking, you're like, John Mayer, I love your music, but man, like what is happening here? Like... It's beauties in the eye of the beholder. To me, I'm like, I would never be caught dead wearing that, you know? But to them, it's like, no, this is fashion. Like, this is what it means to be fashionable and to show yourself, you know, kind of on that upper tier of culture. Um, that's the first word. That's what it means to kind of have, to have wisdom there. The second one is, is the honor. It, it's a way that it's to describe kind of glory, honor, prestige, but in, a, in an objective sense that, that no one could really argue it could be translated weighty. It's like when someone walks into a room and it's like that person carries a lot of weight around here. You know what I'm saying? Like have you ever been like at a, at a dinner or like some kind of um, gala or something like that and the person who's the CEO of a company walks in and you're like, man, that person, like everybody, everybody kind of changes the way they're sitting. You know, everybody watches the way. It's like if the president of the United States walks in, they just carry a little bit more weight than everyone else in a subjective sense. And this is the word that's used uh, when the prophets would have visions of being in the throne room of God, and it would say that they beheld his glory, his weightiness. It's the Hebrew word kabod. It's like the idea that, that, that in the temple, when Isaiah goes in to his temple and has that heavenly vision, the, the glory of God fills the whole space. Like there's nowhere to go in that sense, nowhere to go in that space to where his, his weightiness, his glory, his honor is not felt. 
So those are the two words there. And those are the two things that we, as, as humans that have been made in the image of this God, are, are seeking to live, right? Like we want wisdom. We want wisdom in the sense that we live a life that's honorable, that's good, subjective, so that when people look at us, it's, it's, it's man, like they've lived a good life. They've been wise. And at the same time, it's honor. It's the same way that we are, were made to bear the image of the glory of God, to, to take the glory of God and reflect it to those around us. But the problem is, just a little bit of folly outweighs that, right? And like, we know this is true. Like, like this is kind of like a little bit of a self-evident thing. Like, if, like anybody ever like been on a date or like in a job interview or like you're, you're, you're hanging out with people and everything's going really well and like conversation's going great, you're saying all the right stuff, and then towards the end you just say like one stupid thing, you know? And you can like pinpoint like, man, things were going really well until that moment. Like I said that and I just, you know, like you say it and you wish you could grab the words out of the air and, and, but you just can't. Like, like that's kind of the picture that we're getting here. Like, cause look at verse two. It says, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, the heart of the fool to the left. In verse three, even as fools walk along the road, they like sense and they show everyone how stupid they are. See, the, that, that phrase to the left, um, that's where we get our phrase in English underhanded. So, so originally when the Old Testament was translated into Latin, like, like 1,500 years ago, that word uh, is sinister. So it's literally translated left-handed or underhanded. So it talks about whenever the fool goes to the left, but the wise go to the right. It, he's saying like, hey, w- when you're seeking to live a life of wisdom, all right? So you take in everything we've talked about up to this point. The author of Ecclesiastes is warning us just a little bit can ruin a whole lot of good. So what are some principles that we can have to help us live a life of wisdom, a life of honor, a life that's glorifying to God for the good of those around us? How can we do this? In his letter to Ephesians, or Ephesians, uh, I mixed Ephesians and Ecclesiastes. Um, Maybe that's the most embarrassing thing I'll do today. I hope so, I hope. There's a lot of day left though. So in Ephesians, uh, Paul makes the case that, that when we place our faith in Jesus, he says we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, which is to say that the kingdom living under the rule of, of sin and wickedness and evil and brought into the kingdom of light, which is where we get to submit to a king who's good and who knows what's best for us and created us to flourish. And, and here's, here's what he says. He makes the whole case in, in Ephesians, and then he gets to chapter 5, and he says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So when we're talking about thinking about a life of wisdom, thinking about a life of honor, what we're looking at today is really trying to figure out and ask the question, like, what is God's will? Like, how do I live, you know, in, in the New Testament it says, how do I live in keeping in step with the Spirit? Like, how do I live in Christ? How do I live a life worthy of the calling that we've been given, like, like Peter wrote to his people? And like, this isn't going to spell out every detail of your life. But what it does do, the principles that he gives us in the rest of this chapter, does just kind of help us gain some clarity in the day-to-day as we seek to live this life for the glory of God. 
All right, so, the, so there's two main, two main principles here. The first one is kind of chopped up in a few different verses, so it may feel like I'm jumping around a little bit in this chapter. Um, but the first thing, the first principle that we have is to make good use of what we've been given. It's to make good use of what you've been given. We've all been given different things in life, whether that's the people around us, whether that's gifts and talents, you know, whatever, however we find ourselves, whatever things we have in our lives, that's the thing that we've been given, and we're asked to make good use of that, right? Look at verses four through seven. It says, you know, if a, if a, if a ruler's uh, anger rises against you, don't leave your post, right? You've been given a chance there to show yourself calm and, 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 and prove yourself, right? If there's an evil I've seen under the sun, a sort of terror that arises from a ruler, Right? So if you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a position um, of authority, whether that's at work or that's at home or that's wherever, it's using what you've been given. Because he, here's, here's where it goes bad. It's when fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go around on foot. Right? It's, it's when someone who has people under their charge put a fool in. Like, think about that, that word picture. Like a prince has a horse and he puts a slave on it. But when you get to where you need to go, the prince is the one who's going to have to make all the big decisions, right? The, the prince is the one, back then in an honor-shame culture, people looked at the, the dignity of the ruler and judged the rest of the people. And that sounds weird for us, not in an honor-shame culture, you know, in the modern Western culture that we live in. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, why? Wow, it doesn't make any sense. You've been given this opportunity as a prince to, to represent and show that you, the people you lead have honor and glory, but instead you're putting someone of lower standing. That's what he's saying. And then at verse 10, he talks about, he says, if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. I remember when I was a kid, so my dad uh, framed houses and did roofing for a long time when I was a kid. So he's got those big, you know, like framing hammers. They're like a little heavier and longer than normal ones. And I remember as a kid uh, getting it and using the back of it, like the little prong things, to dig in the backyard. And, and I can remember dad saying, no, like, let, me, let me show you how to use this. Correct. You know, and he got me the right tool because we were you know, planting flowers and stuff. It's the same thing here. It's like verses 19 and 20 kind of says the same thing, right? A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. Right? Tools help us do that. Tools help us. The things that we've been given when used properly help us live a life of wisdom. Right? Like, is there anything worse than a family meal where people start arguing? Like, anybody already dreading Thanksgiving? A little bit? If we're just being honest, we can be honest here, right? Like, like feasts were made for laughter and for enjoyment and for life, right? But feasts are not made for fighting. Jesus warns about this all the time. Feasts weren't made to throw so that you can climb the social ladder or play games uh, right, everyone is at the same level sitting at a table until you start fighting for the best spot, right? And wine makes life merry until you have too much, right? Wine isn't for getting drunk. It's for enjoying with friends and family and communion unless you're a Protestant in the South. Then it's just Welch's, right? It's, a, right, wine, what it is, there, there's some really interesting study that's come out recently about, about uh, drinking, uh, it's actually used with a, what they call social capital. Okay, so, so social capital is this thing that, that helps you experience life better because there are these uh, few different sociologists and biologists and they traveled around the world uh, to study different cultures who, whose 
uh, found that, you know, people lived a really long time, like outlived the rest of different cultures and societies. And one of the things they did, they found out that in those cultures, by and large, uh, two to three times a week, like in the culture, people almost never drank wine. They, they'd like almost never drank alcohol, but two or three times a week, they would gather together with friends and family and they would drink. And they found that was the leading factor to a long life. They, they said that wine actually contributes to, they called uh, social capital in somebody's life. And, and that's what the Bible talks about when it, in, the, in the context of drinking wine, right? Like wine is a good thing. That's what it says here. Like a feast is meant wine makes life merry, right? But when it becomes an addiction, it becomes a problem, right? It becomes a big problem when it becomes an idol, We've been given tools to enjoy this life, and some of us are in those positions of, of leadership. Some of us are in those positions. We have children that we're trying to nurture to grow up in the way that we hope they will go. Right? Some of us have been given enough money to have margin to bless other people. Some of us have gifts and talents, like snake charming. I guess that's how I'm going to fit that one in today. I don't know what else to do with snake charming in there. Uh, but it is that we need to use wisely. Right back to Ephesians, where Paul's talking. Paul, a few verses after that, in five, in Ephesians five, says that the fruit of the spirit, um, it are you know, consists of all goodness, of all righteousness and truth. So when we're thinking about using our our time wisely because the days are evil. That sounds like a very Ecclesiastes thing for Paul to say. If we're thinking of using our life wisely, but not unwisely. Right? And, and if the, the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, then the question is, how are you using what you've been given? Like, how are we used what we've been given? Right? Have you used what you've been given in your life, your gifts, your talents, your resources, to produce goodness and righteousness and promote truth? Like, what's the state of your marriage as far as you can help it? Is it goodness? Like, what's the way that your children look at you? Is it righteousness? Is it goodness? Like, what's the mark that you're leaving at your job or at your school or on your team? How would your friends describe your sense of humor and the way you talk about other people? Goodness, righteousness, truth? Right? Luke 16, there's, a, there's kind of a confusing parable where Jesus gives, and, and he, and he kind of, but it's really a, like a scathing review of the Pharisees. So, so like, up to this point, uh, the Pharisees, the Jewish people, had, had uh, everything at their disposal the way that God had revealed himself. They had the Old Testament, the law, the prophets. They had all the scriptures. Um, and, but then, here they had Jesus, the culmination of the revelation of God, standing right in front of them. God himself, right? Emmanuel, God with us, standing in front of them. And they come to him, and they start kind of asking him questions and testing him. And he kind of turns the tables and asks, basically, how have they been stewarding what they've been given? Right? Remember, God chooses his people to be a blessing to all people. Right? That's the whole thing with Israel being chosen, with the family of Abraham. It's God chooses one to bless the many, and we carry that out now, being people chosen by God so that now we can take the blessing of God to the world around us. Right? So, so he goes and he gives this kind of confusing parable where he talks about there's a, there's a manager who's in hot water. He's about to lose his job. All right, because uh, he'd been giving his, his boss's money away to people, and he hasn't been collecting the money back. So the boss comes to him and basically says, hey, if, if you don't start getting some money back, I'm going to throw you into, into de debtor's jail. Okay, so he's going to throw him in prison. So what the manager does is, it's kinda inter it makes no sense to us, but it's, it's pretty interesting the way Jesus uses this, because he says the manager goes, and he finds all the people that owes his boss money. He says, hey, how much money do you owe? 
And they tell him, he says, well, well here's what I'll do. I'll cut it in half and you just go ahead and pay now. Okay, so he goes around and he cuts everybody's debt in half. And he gets a little bit of money, like half the money. And so his boss comes back and he gives him some money. And the boss actually praises him and rewards him and like gives him a promotion. All right, so the, the, the point here is like not to do like weird business transaction. The point is, Jesus says, he says that, that he says you should make friends with like, like worldly money and systems. Like you should use that to bless people and make friends. Because here's what he gets to. He says, he says live a generous life and make much of other people by giving away what you have so that you can enjoy what really matters. Because what Jesus is not concerned with making a bunch of money, right? Because he ends up going to and he confronts an idol again. He says what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And he goes on to say you can't serve both God and money. That parable is not about building wealth. The tools, the things that we've been given, it's not about building wealth. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Like the, the reason we've been given things is not to get more things. The reason we've been given what we have is because Jesus goes on, he says, if you can be trusted with a little bit, you can be trusted with a lot. So the thing is not about like God doesn't give us things so that we can just like, like do more and more and more and build and build and build. He gives us things because he's trying to build our character into his likeness. That's the whole thing, right? He said, he said if you can be trusted with just a little bit, then you're going to be trusted with a lot. The whole thing is, is can people trust you? Is, is what you've been given to handle, is what you've been given in life to steward, is it blessing the people around you or is it just being used to bless yourself? Because that's the whole thing, right? W- wealth may happen on that journey, that's, that's fine, but are you using that, what you've been given, your money, your talents, your time, your resources, your position of leadership in whatever role that looks like. Have you been given that for goodness and righteousness and truth, like Paul says in Ephesians 5? See, see, it's not only about caring for what you have, but caring for who you have in your life. That's what we're called to do. So that's the first principle. The second principle is to, to work hard at the right thing. So it's make, make use of what you have, but also like work hard at the right stuff. And sometimes that can be hard to do, but I love the way Paul writes. He's like on his last leg. We think that, that this is the last thing he wrote before he died in Rome. He writes to Timothy, his, his kind of protege and, and uh, the guy that he kind of raised up and put into a position of leadership in the church in Ephesus. He writes to him and he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. Now, a lot of us have been fighting a lot of things, Right? Like, like, we've been fighting for a lot of things, but I love that Paul specifies that I've been fighting the good fight of faith. Like, not, hey, Timothy, I've won every fight I've had. Like, I've not fought every fight. I've not fought bad fights. I've only fought the good fight of faith. Like, a lot of us think we have to fight God's battles for him, and that's not what he asked us to do. That's not what Paul talks about. He even, in, in the first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, he tells him, he says, hey, fight the good fight of faith. And he goes on to say, what, what does that mean? He says, to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's fighting or working hard for the right things. Not working hard at everything. Not working hard at the wrong things. Because we can catch ourselves working hard at the wrong things. Has anybody ever gotten into like uh, one of those like stupid little games on your phone? 
and like beat it. Anybody ever done that? There's a game that I, I like had not played since middle school and like two or three years ago I picked it back up and like, the, like we'd put the girls down for bed and uh, I'd be sitting on the couch playing and, and, and it's, it's like basically took me like years and I, and I beat it. And I felt really good until I realized all I got was a digital trophy. That was it. Like that was all that I got. I worked really, I was really devoted. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I put in time, I did research, I worked hard, I managed my time well. I, like I did all the right things to work hard at something and I got not even the option to print off a picture of the trophy that I won. I just got, I just got that. Can anyone relate? Candy Crush fans? Oh, okay, sorry. I know we don't like our idols being confronted. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Candy Crush, I've never played it. But I'm just saying, like, there's a difference in working hard at something and working hard at the right thing, you know? Like, look at verses 8 and 9. It says, it says, whoever digs a pit may fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. In verse 11, it says, if a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. In, in verses 16 through 18, woe to the land whose king was a servant or, or whose king is a child. It's kind of closer to what that translation would mean. Like, woe to the land whose king is a child, whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idols' hands, the house leaks. Now, now verse 17, uh, 16 and 17 is, is really kind of the focus of those verses kind of culminating because uh, basically what it's saying, this is, this is kind of the, my, my paraphrase of it. It says, blessed is the land whose king has been instructed in wisdom since they were a baby and they know how to control themselves. Like a lot of us like never grow out of the things that we learned as a kid. Like isn't it, isn't it hard to watch like, a, like, a, like an adult child? Right? Like whether it's like temper tantrums or whether it's like just never taking on the responsibilities of life. Like someone who's worked really hard to stay spoiled and never learn self-control. And one of my friends warned us whenever, I've said this a few times before, but one of my friends warned us, who's just a few years older than I am and a little bit farther down the road, when we first had our first child, he said, you know, Matt, you gotta be careful because we spend the first two years of a kid's life convincing them they're the center of the universe and the rest of your life convincing them you're not. And that's so true. Most of us just never care to grow out of thinking that we're the center of the universe. Right? Like, like and this is not to throw like shade at anyone specifically because I've got my own things that, that preparing for this message has brought to light in my life. But it's like from the 40-year-old man who still acts like he's 10 to the, to the lady who gossips like she's still in middle school. Right? It's like when we choose to be as selfish as we were when we were three years old and never learn to control our temper or learn to use our words for healing instead of hurting. It's when we can't work hard at being a non-anxious presence because we're too busy trying to make other people as miserable as we are. Because if we think if they can just feel what I feel, then they'll care about it as much as I do. See, Paul wrote to Timothy again and he said, 
train yourself to godliness. He said, Free from you, flee from youthful passions and train yourself for godliness. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about how do we, how do we purposefully, intentionally do things in our lives to where we don't ruin wisdom and honor. To, to, the, to the life that we've been called to take the glory of God to the people around us. Like, are there things we can do? And I think that that charge to Timothy is great. Is train yourself for godliness. Right? For Paul, the goal was to be godly. And that can seem like maybe an outdated term or like a, like a really religious term that has baggage with it or whatever. But, but for us, just what it means is for us to just be like Jesus. Like to see the life, to, to see God's word, to read it, to see the life of Jesus, what he taught, and then apply those to our lives so that we become, as the New Testament authors put it over and over, to be formed into the image of Christ. Like that's what we're talking about here. Right? Like, like that's why we talk so much like practicing the way and talk about spiritual formation, the spiritual disciplines a lot because it gives us intentional, structured like, like means to the end of becoming more like Jesus and emulating the life of Jesus in ourselves, right? It's to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. That's the way Jesus summed up the scriptures right there. And so as we close today, I just, the sermon, I just want to ask, like, like, what are you working hard at? Like, you're working hard at the right things. Like, I'm not challenging, like, a good work ethic or necessarily being, like, a, like a perfect student. I'm just asking the way that you've been living your life, like what's the end goal? Like the way that you've been treating people, the way that you've been showing the love of God to the people around you, what's the end goal? And, and First Johnny said that for those of us who know Christ should be like him. So like what's the end goal of your life? Is it to be more like Jesus? Like what are the mottos or the slogans or the sound clips or the phrases that you play in your mind to motivate you? Like, what are those things? Are you working hard at the right things? Are you using what God's given you? Like, like given this like, current state of our culture, like it, it's really hard to know what to believe and what not to believe. Like, our, like, the problem in our culture is not a content problem. We have an endless supply of that. The problem with our culture is a discipleship culture. Like, we've given so much into content that we take in that we've lost the words in the way of Jesus along the way. See, Jesus says that whoever hears his words and obey them is like a wise man. So if we're talking about living a life of wisdom, a life of honor and glory, it's to become people who know God's word and so internalize it that it's like we're building a house on a foundation. All right, so, so, so here's the challenge this week. At the end of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus says that. He says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise person. So, so the principles that we learn today, right, if you take those words of Jesus, the sermon that Jesus preached, kind of his like kingdom manifesto that he came to establish, right, here, here's the challenge this week. If you like a little bit of homework and an action step, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've been doing it the last few weeks. I'm going to ask you to do it. Read through the Sermon on the Mount a few times this week. It's only three chapters. It takes like, a, like 10 minutes max. Listen to it in your car and just take note. Jot down if there are things that, that don't sound right. Like maybe you hear it and you're like, man, I don't know, that doesn't make sense. Like I don't know if that's possible. Jot it down and then just see if there's anything that you can obey. Like see if there's anything that you can hear 
and that you can obey so that you can be like what Jesus said and, and be like the person who's wise. Because what that might do is just stir something up that, that shows just maybe where you're a little bit out of step with following Jesus. Like if we're talking about living that life of wisdom, be, being formed into the image of Christ. Like what are those things you're working at? And then see if the words of Jesus don't call you into a life that looks like his. So let me pray for us and then we'll stand and worship. Jesus, thank you. Like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, that, that, that God who saved us, sent you to become our righteousness, our redemption, and our sanctification. So Jesus, as we look to you, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who came, never sinned, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, and then died on, uh, uh, like we sang earlier, the lamb who was slain for our sins, the spotless, perfect lamb that was slain so that our sins could be forgiven, and then you rose from the grave conquering death, making it possible for us to know you and to live a life in you. Jesus, as we look for wisdom, as we look to live our lives, to, to manage the things you've given us and to work hard at the right things, meet us in those spaces. As we open your word, as, as, as we read them, as we take inventory of our lives, Holy Spirit, meet us there. Call us into that deeper discipleship. Confront idols that we have, that we've set up, confront attitudes and mindsets that go against your will so that we as a people can be people of wisdom and honor, but not on our own terms, but on your terms. The good heavenly father who created a good earth looked at us and said, we're very good and then sent Jesus to call us back into that life. Because Jesus, I, I know just for me, for, for us in this room, because we are people that live in a broken world. We are people who make poor choices, that we work hard at the wrong things often, and we don't use what, what you've given us well. God, in the midst of all that, while we were still sinners, Jesus came and died for us. So Jesus, I just ask, Heavenly Father, I ask that as we people who are called by your name seek to live the life you've given us, God, it's your reputation at stake. So be with us, make us new, renew us. And as we come and we confess things and we repent things and we seek intentionally to put up patterns and rhythms of life that we see in the life of Jesus, meet us there. And God, may we see a change in our communities, a change in our homes, a change in our workplaces because of the way that you are working in us. Father, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.